0: Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m. And you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Welcome to those who are here, those who are joining online. It is good to be with you. And I want to add my, my personal welcome this morning as well. Maybe, like me, some at some point over this past weekend, a little um, ditty phrase has gotten into your mind: April showers it 's been a rainy one it 's been a rainy one, so we can be hopeful that uh, flowers are coming. We know that spring is here, days continue to get longer, and it reminds me of of our focus that we had during Lent. Those of you who are with us before Easter know that we are looking as Spring was springing, looking at this idea of unfolding light. As the days get longer, as the days got brighter, we saw that light seems to be what God has always been about. We looked at the light that God spoke into creation in Genesis chapter 1, and we heard the echo of that account in John chapter 1, which also opens with the words, in the beginning. And as we dug into the Gospel of John, we saw that story after story seemed to be anchored and rooted in these concepts of light and darkness. The Gospel writer seems almost fixated on this dichotomy and on this imagery. Jesus heals blind people, so now they can see the light. People come to put their faith in Jesus, and their eyes are open metaphorically. They see things in a new light. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. As we saw from Matthew 5, he calls those who follow him the light of the world as well. For the next three weeks, we're going to be looking together at a letter written by the apostle John, the author of the gospel. And we'll see in his letter that he hasn't gotten over his captivation with these themes of light and darkness. John is the disciple of Jesus often referred to as that disciple whom Jesus seemed to particularly love, had a particular fondness for. And we see that this was the disciple whom Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross, gave the honor and responsibility of caring for Jesus' mother, Mary. And we're told that as far as we can tell, John was the only apostle, only disciple of Jesus, who achieved uh, a late age. All the others died early as martyrs. We see that John went on to be credited with planting several churches in the city of Ephesus, which is located in what is now western Turkey. Bible scholar and theologian Professor Gary Burge writes, John's community of believers lived on the frontiers of Judaism. His church was heterogeneous, that is, Jews who had moved into the Greek world lived alongside Greeks who knew nothing of the Old Testament. Their common bond was a firm allegiance to Jesus, their Messiah. And John was their leader. The writings of John in his letters evidence a community alert to the centrality of the Holy Spirit, ready to experience the Spirit in his fullness. But we can only speculate that something serious happened in the later stages of the church's life. This once unified congregation began to tear apart from within. Threats that were once external now were found within the ranks of the fellowship itself. So John wrote these letters to churches that were near and dear to his heart, facing these kinds of serious challenges. And so I believe deeply that these letters have a lot to teach and to show us as we think about what it might look like for for threats that seem to be out there in the world. Threats like division and disbelief and polarization, as those threats out there seem to be able to come in perhaps all too easily and infiltrate even God's church. For those of us who claim that our allegiance to Jesus Christ is in fact our common bond, it's what brings us together. We know that it's not always easy. We can find ourselves arguing, arguing over important things, sometimes arguing over not so important things, sometimes arguing over which things belong in which category. Is it important or isn't it? And so these letters speak deeply to us thousands of years later. John's letters were designed to encourage and correct the churches he cared about, to fertilize these churches he had planted, to help them flourish, to live out their purpose and mission and identity, to bear fruit for God's kingdom. And so they're good words for us today. John opens his gospel, the gospel of John, this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then John opens his first letter to his beloved churches in Ephesus like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John seems to be in the habit of of going back to the beginning whenever he can. It's almost like he looks at Genesis and says, okay, if if in the beginning is a good place to start, that's, that's good enough for me. So he begins his gospel, in the beginning was the word. And as he pens this letter, he eventually begins by saying, look, I'm just going to share with you those things I've seen and heard firsthand from the beginning, from day one with Jesus Christ. And what I've seen and heard from the beginning is this. That God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now, John, we'll see, also writes that God is love, uh, but that's next week, so be sure to come back. But this week we lean into this concept and truth of God as light, this being in whom there is no darkness. God spoke light into existence at the birth of the cosmos. And so in a sense, we see that God God shared of his very essence in the creation of light. He is light and shared of his light that there might be light in the universe. And we get a sense that if God is light, then all true light must come from God. And so John argues that it naturally follows that if people come from God... They must have some light of God, a bit of God illumination clinging to them, and even within them. Anything in anyone that comes from God is marked by light. If we claim to have fellowship with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth, John insists. In the beginning, we read in Genesis 1, God created light, and we're told that he separated the light from the darkness. They're always meant to be separate, designed that way. And Jesus taught, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. And so if God is indeed light, then we're meant as children of God, meant as followers of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, to allow God's light and all of its brilliance and glory to shine on us. To be intentional about opening up and offering every part of our lives to its exposure, which is not always easy and is sometimes painful. But not to hold back any part of ourselves in darkness and secrecy, but to bring ourselves fully into God's light, that he might transform us, that we might indeed become children of the Father of heavenly light. John says we can't claim to walk in fellowship with God, to be close to God, if we're walking in darkness. It's just not possible. John's saying if we're walking in darkness, we can't be next to the God who by his being and by who he is brings light wherever he goes. We recognize that if we are in darkness, we are apart from God. To be exposed, to be in the light is a mark of who we are as Christians. It reminds me of those times uh, driving by at night, one of those uh, lighting and fixture stores with the big display windows. You drive by on the highway and you just see this store and the light, the lights lit up like a beacon. And I always think of two things. First, I think Their electric bill must be insane. (laughs) And then also, I think, that'd be a really hard place to play hide and seek. (laughs) If we are surrounded by God's light, there's no hiding. And John's telling us, if we find ourselves in hiding, seeking out darkness, then, then we have stepped away from God. We can't say we have true fellowship and communion with God. Now, I want to make it clear that there are times in our lives we feel like I'm in the dark. Like, I, I can't figure out where God is. I don't know what on earth God is up to, but I feel like I'm in the dark. And John isn't writing here about these kind of dark seasons of the soul. John's talking instead about those who, who claim to be walking with God, and yet if we examine their lives, it seems like they're slinking down proverbial dark alleyways because perhaps that's where they would honestly prefer to be. Or perhaps they haven't fully surrendered themselves to God to allow them to transform him so that that temptation, that tendency becomes cleansed away. Not that we become perfect, but that we become companions of God in the light. John's saying it's, it's incompatible. It's an oxymoron to think that we could be darkness-dwelling people of light. And John goes on, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so if we're walking in that light, again, it becomes this purifying, cleansing power in our lives. Think about hanging laundry out in the sunshine and the fresh spring breeze. Good things happen to that which is exposed to what is good and fresh. And We think about bringing our sinfulness, our sinful selves, into the light and presence of God. And we see that good things happen, that we are transformed. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ. Our sinfulness, as we bring it into proximity with Jesus doesn't mess him up at all, doesn't tamper with his holiness. As we've said several times in the, in the recent past, our sinfulness actually gets Jesus as we bring it to him. The light of God's holiness shines on us through God's son. God's light does the work, that cleansing work that only that light in the blood of Christ can do in our lives. And John tells us that as we walk along this this God-illuminated path, sticking close to him, keeping fellowship with him, we'll find we're not only keeping company with God, but we'll see that we have fellowship with other people who have chosen to try to keep company with God and to walk in his light. We find ourselves connected to every other person who has decided to come out of the darkness and to step into a loving, forgiving, restoring, cleansing life-changing relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And as we see these fellow journeyers and companions, we begin to see them in God's light, the way they were intended to be seen. And we'll see that the light of God, the presence and love of God, has not been without effect on them. They're not perfect. We look at ourselves, we see we're not perfect. This cleansing, this, this sanctification process of becoming holy like God is a process and a journey. But we see one another in the light. We see that our friends have spent some time in the sun. And so how can we tell, how can we know for sure whether we're living in the light, walking in the light? How can we be sure that we're not living out some kind of uh, two-faced existence of claiming to walk closely with God and yet actually finding ourselves all too often in darkened places? Well, John answers this question in chapter 2 of his letter. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And as we sit with these verses, they they feel, to me, they feel pretty heavy, pretty stark. There's not much wiggle room here. John says, if we hate each other, we're in the dark. If we love each other, we're in the light. And like John so often does in his writings, he he doesn't kind of give us any squishy middle. He talks about light and darkness. He talks about love and hate. He really doesn't talk about gray shadows or ambivalent relationships. And so since he talks about both, we realize at the moment we, we maybe console ourselves and say, well, well I, don't, I don't hate that person. We have to ask, well, does that mean we truly love that person? We come face to face with John's insistence that to truly live in the light as Christ is in the light is to love each other. Love each other as only God can empower us to love each other. And to love each other as God himself has loved us. Neutral feelings, ambivalent actions don't seem to have a place. Gary Burge puts it this way, the ultimate test is whether we are able to love the unlovely. And so John's severity is unrelenting, Love becomes a genuine value only when it is tested, only when we must reach beyond ourselves and love someone that we do not wish to love. Burge continues, this passage levies severe tests on all who would claim to be followers of Christ. To what extent, it asks, is our faith simply a matter of pious slogans about our beliefs? And to what extent do we seriously reflect the demeanor of Jesus Christ, Are we known as those those who are religious or as those who are loving? This is the question that Jesus has been asking since he walked the earth. Are we about religion or about love? Pious slogans aren't going to do much for us. James writes in the New Testament book that bears his name, you believe that there is one God. Good, you can hear him saying, great. Good for you. The demons believe that, but they shudder. And so if we're truly people of light, it's not going to show up on our bumper stickers. It's going to show up in our lives. It's going to show up in a way that captures people's attentions. And this makes sense because Jesus told his followers that that they'd be known as people who were little Christs who were Christians, who would follow him, not by what they believed, but by how they lived. He said, you won't be known by your clearly articulated, your unshakable beliefs. He told his friends, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. As I said, we talk about love next week, and we will, but here we see in this letter that that John says this is inseparable. To be people of light means we are people of love. It's essential for people who seek to live in the light of Christ, who seek to be the light of the world that Jesus said we would be and are to be people of love. And so this morning, as we conclude, I'd like for us to take some time in silence to reflect on John's insistent persistent instruction and reminder. As we put this up on the screen, I invite you to read it, to reflect, and prayerfully consider your response. And I'll close us in a a brief while uh, in prayer together. Thanks be to God for his word. Would you join me in prayer? God of love and light, thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your light. Thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world as life-saving, life-transforming light. And thank you for empowering us to somehow, by your grace, to be light in this world. God, forgive us for times we have slinked back into dark places Forgive us for times we've covered our light instead of letting it shine. Father, restore us, renew us. God of light, would you give us the demeanor of Christ himself, our Lord and Savior? Give us opportunities to shine for Jesus in this week ahead. And God, give us courage to do exactly that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.